to the fifth episode of Not Just Numbers, Honest Conversations with a Financial Advisor and Lawyer. I'm Madison Demora, and I'm here with Mike Gary. Mike is the founder and CEO of Yardley Wealth Management, a firm he founded in 2006. We are located right outside of Philadelphia in Yardley, Pennsylvania, which is in Bucks County. Mike, in the previous episode, we spoke a little bit about our firm, and I was wondering if we could speak a little more so our listeners can understand a bit more about us. Always a great idea, Maddie. Thanks. All right. So let's get into it. So how do we know what funds to buy and sell? Is there some some sort of computer model or algorithm? Well, we get help from computers, but all of our investing decisions are made by mature, responsible humans. And do we have those here? We do. <laughs> Lots of them. So what do these mature, responsible humans do and how do computers get involved? All right. So our investment philosophy is that some guy sitting in his office in Yardley, PA, is not going to be able to beat the stock market, um, not on a consistent basis. So what we do is we buy mutual funds and ETFs that are low cost and tax efficient um, and that do well compared to their peers. And so we use a company called FI360, who we use to monitor our our, the various funds that we own. So about monthly, we upload the funds that we have into FI360 and it measures or it judges mutual funds and ETFs based on uh, nine individual fiduciary criteria. So a couple of things um, that might not be obvious, but the the fund has to be a certain size. The manager has to have a certain tenure. Um, It has to actually more or less do what it says it's going to do. Like, it's hard to believe that's a judge, right? Like, hey, this large cap value fund is actually a large cap value fund. Anyway, not all funds do it as they advertise. Um, and then also, it, the, the other measures are cost, because low costs matter, um, and performance against other like funds uh, over various times. And then some other more like um, financial, um, like sharp ratio and things like that, that we don't really get into too much. But anyway, it measures funds and it's like golf where the low score is better. So if a fund is like excels in everything, it gets a zero. And if it's terrible in everything, it gets a 99. And so we tried it to have funds mostly in the, in the first quartile. So the top 25% of funds, um, but also know that sometimes even great funds aren't going to be in that top quartile. Maybe they're, um, how they invest is a little out of style right now. So we're not going to just kick somebody out because it it drops out of the first quartile, um, as long as we know the reason why. So we use that um, third-party way of knowing, like, what, you know, whether the funds that we have are worth keeping or whether we should explore options. And then when we decide to explore options, we use that same software to take a look and see, see what funds might be better in the space. So we don't do a lot of changing of the funds that we use. The most recent big change we did was back in the fall, we added a new emerging markets fund. Um, The symbol is FRDM. And it is a a freedom weighted index. Um, So there's no Russia, China, um, Saudi Arabia. You know, it, it only buys 
um, stocks in countries with um, capitalism, rule of law, and uh, where there's like no autocracies. So it's it's a really cool thing. I'm glad we started it. Anyway, so that's how we know what funds to use. And then in terms of like what, what we do in clients' portfolios, we use different software for that. We use something called Tamarack, which is our rebalancing software. So when people start with us, we just we figure out what their um, asset allocation should be. And that's what, what percentage of stocks, bonds, um, and if they need cash in their portfolio, how much cash. Um, and then we create a model in Tamarack for that client or assign one that we've, we've used for somebody else. Um, and so we will have an idea of approximately how much, what percent in each fund the client should have. So for example, uh, clients might have, depending on their size, whether they have taxable accounts or not, whether they have multiple accounts or not, generally somewhere between like eight and 12 or 13 funds uh, for most models. Um, and we will, we will um, assign the different asset classes, for example, like small cap value might be 4% in a client's portfolio. Well, we use that, that model to keep track of that. And we had an overall model deviation by how much a client or a client's household is off of their model easily. Um, and then we also um, have a, a separate uh, notification if someone is off a particular holding by more than 20%. So if you are supposed to have uh, 4% in small cap value, let's say, if it goes below 3.2% or above 4.8%, we'll get notified. So in one of our screens where someone's out of tolerance, we'll say, oh, Maddie's account is out of tolerance. Let me take a look and see if trades should be made. Now, some computer algorithm is not gonna be making that trade. What's gonna happen is an adult, mature, responsible financial advisor, maybe even me, will take a look at that and look at the, the client's overall portfolio and see whether it makes sense to make a trade. And some of the things that might we might take into consideration is what's the size of the trade? Is it really small? Does it make sense to do that? Um, will there be a transaction charge from Schwab or TD Ameritrade if we make that trade? Um, is it in a taxable account and would it be a taxable gain? And it is a taxable gain close to the end of the year. So say it's December 31st and we see this um, trade and it, it seems to make sense but the client already has gains for the year and there are no other losses to wash it from. And so I know if I take that gain, there is going to be an immediate tax impact for that client. I will usually wait till January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, whenever to make that trade if the client is still out of, out of tolerance. So we use software um, and it's very helpful um, and it really makes the decision-making process much easier for us because it's really easy to get the information so that we can make the decision. So in that example, we'll see what the client's long-term gains are, what the, the gains would be, or short-term gains are, what the gains would be if we made the proposed trade. You know, we'll know the client so we know what, what tax brackets they're in. And so it's, it makes it the decision-making process so much better. So 
sorry to say it's not like some algorithm that just goes bing and a trade is made. Um, it might be nice if it was that easy, but I don't know if that would be as good. Uh, you know, I think that we use the tools that are available to us right now. And we pay a lot of money for those tools and, and it's a lot of training um, because sometimes they're, uh, especially Tamarack is very complicated, but they really, really help. So how's that for a nice long-winded answer that mature, responsible humans do this and not computers? Yeah, no, that's, it sounds great. It sounds like a lot goes into it. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it, it takes a while to set everything up. Um, and then, you know, we have to monitor the, the models. We have to monitor the funds. We need to make sure the trades happen. And then, you know, the stock and bond markets are open, you know, 235 days a year. And so people's allocations change. Um, funds, performance uh, is better or worse at different times. And so it's a lot to keep on top of. Um, but I think we do a really good job. We, we have a tight ship here. Yes, that's what it sounds like. Yep. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I, I think that that's a pretty good summary. I'm sure I, I missed some things, but I think that's that's the the, the um, basic gist of, of how we manage portfolios. Okay. All right. All right. So now we know that. Um, what would you like to discuss today? Well, what I'd like to say to discuss today is that the VIP section in, in finance is not what it's cracked up to be. I didn't know there was a VIP section for finance or in finance. And do you believe that there is and we're not in it? Isn't that, isn't that terrible? <laughs> so, so would you like to know what the VIP section is in finance? Should I? I guess you're going to tell me anyway. You know I am going to, Maddie. So think of hedge funds private equity, non-traded REIT, things like that. So what makes them VIP? Well, you know, they're hard to enter. They have high minimums and you need to be an accredited investor, which isn't really that special anymore. Um, accredited investor, you need to have a certain income and net or net worth to be able to purchase some of these things. And, um, you know, when the rules came into place, that would be somebody who was, who was fairly rich, but you know, it doesn't actually mean that the person is knowledgeable about these things. So it's kind of a silly standard. Um, so, yeah. So. So why is that? Um, why is it a silly standard? Yeah. Well, there are all kinds of, well, so the, the income and net worth um, are relatively low. Maybe it's like $200,000 of income or a million dollars in net worth outside of your house. So sure, most of America would like to be in that position, but there are literally millions of Americans who are in that position, and the vast majority of them are not, you know, not knowledgeable in this kind of investing. And I, you know, I think that the basic thing is that the SEC feels that hey, these people can afford to take the risk, and so that's why we're going to let them invest. Um, I don't know if that's a good idea, but that's what it is, and so it doesn't matter if Mike Gary thinks it's a good idea or not. So high minimums and you need to be an in, in, in credit investor, which really isn't that special. Like if the, they have high fees and it's hard to get into. And so you would think like, okay, so that's like the Ivy League school. Yeah, right? like exactly. It's expensive and hard to get into. So it must be really worth it. Like if you went to Harvard or Princeton, it's probably worth it for most people, right? Um, 
I don't think that's the case for these kinds of investments, though, because the way that they are run is more for the managers of those funds and their employees rather than the client. And what I mean by that is they charge pretty high fees on an ongoing basis. They charge more fees if the fund does well, and they decide they don't tell you what they're going to invest in necessarily. Um, and they will often make it hard to leave. So you can't always get your money out. So they'll have different times for when you could do a redemption, right? So if you think about an investment that's expensive, that might be hard to do, maybe hard to get your money out of, they don't really know what it is, that like just doesn't give me the warm fuzzies. You know, they also don't often um, tell what their performance is. And so like you have to go and find it and it might not be easy. Like you could look up what the performance of the S&P 500 is in two seconds with your smartphone. If I gave you the name of a um, private equity fund you may or may not be able to tell what the, the performance is. You may or may not be able to tell um, what is invested in. You may or may not be able to tell how easy it is to get your money in or out of it or what, what your fees would be. So it's really opaque compared to other investments. So like the funds that we, we use, mutual funds and ETFs, and, and maybe um, they would be considered boring, but we know what they are. We know what's in them. We know what their track record is. We can get in and out of them with a few simple clicks. They don't cost a lot of money and they're very tax efficient, right? So like, I think that um, most of the VIP section, it's sold because people want the, um, oh, what is that? What's that term? Um, like you want to be in the in club, you want to be in the right click. Like, oh, well, my um, broker sold me this um, non-traded REIT um, because the other um, rich people on my block bought it. Well, maybe it's good, but that that's not the reason to buy something. Um, you know, just, just having that um, prestige of being a credit investor and, um, you know, the, the thought that this is what other people do. And, you know, it, there's this there's this um, feeling in a lot of um, ways that like the rich do things differently than you and me. And that's true in a lot of things. Um, but in terms of investing, it's not necessarily better. Like so like the truly rich can own businesses, right, where they can make a lot of money or they can like develop properties or or have like you know a private interest in things that's different yes that is something that um, really rich people can access that you and i can't access um, but buying funds like we discussed here is not a thing that's special um, and in fact it, it hurts their returns one interesting thing i don't know if you know the um Forbes 400, Forbes for a million years has been publishing a list of like the richest people in America. And 20, 30, 40 years ago, that list would be populated by people who started, whose, whose families 
and, and they started like big American companies, right? So it would be the descendants of like the Waltons from Walmart or like um, Bill Gates from Microsoft or Warren Buffett. And now, while those people are still on the list, now a lot of the people on that list are people who are hedge fund managers or private equity managers or venture capital fund managers. And the thing is like, they have made a lot of money from those funds. There's, they don't have like a lot of, of their clients who have, who have made a lot of money from those funds, right? So, you know, it's a VIP section that uh, I would suggest to say no thank you to. Not saying they can't be great businesses or that they might be good or, you know, like it's morally neutral about what they are as, um, you know, their existence. But I'm saying, I don't think it's a thing for, I don't think they're things for most people to invest in. I think most people who do invest in them um, become disappointed if they take a, a good hard look at what their results have been. Okay. So it's, it's more like a club to join. It's sounding like, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that's it. Um, an expensive club to join. Yeah. And it's exactly very expensive club to join. Yeah. I'd rather go to one in Vegas. <laughs> Not that I know about that either, but <laughs> no, Maddie, this has been great. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, Absolutely. So for more information on Yardley Wealth Management, you could visit our website at yardleywealth.net. You can also follow us on socials at Yardley Wealth Management. This podcast has been produced by Madison Demora and Mike Gary with, te- with technical and artistic help from Poe Productions. Thank you.